What is up, beauties? This is the Bear of Texas right back at you for another episode of the Bear of Texas podcast. First, let me welcome back my good friend, Wiley, aka the Venomous Stare. Wiley, it's honored to have you back. And I cannot say that this may be one of the saddest podcast episodes we've ever done. As the world, we've lost Kobe Bryant. That's very true, Alex. We are coming to our audience today after a great loss. And it will be a relatively interesting podcast because we have a lot of other topics to discuss as well, including the Trash Rose hiring Dusty Baker amidst a plethora of controversy and shame. Indeed. Let's go and start with Kobe. When you first saw the news, what was your reaction? Well, I think I was a little bit surprised to see that Kobe had died so young. He was in his early 40s. And whenever I look back at Kobe Bryant, I think about an athlete who was an incredibly hard worker, an athlete who had a hard carry, good on my back style. You had an athlete that was the intellectual successor to Jordan. He played the same position at a similar height and weight with an identical style. The sort of player who would always try to take over a game and wasn't afraid to be ball dominant. A player that excelled in the clutch. A player that loved to talk shit. A player that really excelled in the spotlight. And I don't think anyone was expecting Kobe Bryant to die anytime soon. So it's just a tragedy that he died in the helicopter crash so early on. Absolutely. Be honest. As soon as I uh, see, I learned. I learned from you. I learned the death from you when I got your text message. And at first, I thought it was a hoax. But then, because I was asleep when you texted me, and then I, I go, I get on my computer. I go, oh, it's all over Twitter. There's all these news notifications, and then I told myself, this is not a hoax. He's dead. And I was shocked, Wiley. And I'm not even. I'm not even afraid to admit that I got emotional because Kobe Bryant, as you said, one of the hardest workers, clutch player, a unique career. The, mark my words, Wiley. Mark my words when I say this. There will never, ever, ever be no other Kobe Bryant. Well, so many of the players these days are soft and elect to try to make super teams every time they lose a couple rounds in the playoffs. And to me, the thing that stands out about Kobe Bryant is he had the three rings with Shaq. And then he went on to have the hard carry season with smush parker and kwame brown and he was basically playing with complete replacement level replacement level gutter players and made the best of it this was sort of before he got pal gasol and bynum and all those guys and to me i think that you really have to just look back at kobe and think this was a guy who would always do his best to hard carry despite how bad his allies are. And I think that that is something that the average person can find very relatable. Absolutely. You see, folks, even as diehard Dallas Mavericks fans, I mean, I hold no grudge against Kobe Bryant, even though there's that one game, it was in 2005, when he scored 61 points against us in the third qu- in three quarters on 30 shots in just 30 minutes. To be honest, that was one of the best things I've ever seen in, in, in sports overall. Uh, 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 even though you know he destroyed it, he he always you know for the most of his career he did make a fool out of our Mavericks. Kobe Bryant's changed the game. I mean, he, 
he's just one of those guys, in my opinion, you just could not hate. I mean, what, what doesn't matter which team you cheer for. Kobe Bryant made such an impact on the sport. I can honestly, he changed the sport. But I wanna, I wanna talk about his early career, like during his days with Shaq, because those were really difficult days for Kobe Bryant. Because we all know Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal like hated each other. And despite all the tensions, the feud, and everything, they still managed to win three titles together. Well, I don't think they started disliking each other until the end. And I honestly think that was sort of overblown. If you consider the fact that Shaq ended up getting traded, I think that led to a lot of the animosity. That had a lot more to do with the front office and payroll than it did with Kobe, honestly. So... To me, whenever I look back at Kobe and his legacy with, uh, you know, Shaq and Kobe, one of the classic duos, those are good memories. Those are memories that fans look back on. They think about the Portland Trailblazer game where they were down by 16 in the fourth quarter in game seven of the playoffs. And they remember the comeback and they get happy. They don't necessarily remember that the rivalry was that contentious or that they truly hated each other. I think that was slightly overblown. It was. Um, in my opinion, I think the rivalry intensified when they went their separate ways, especially when, like, especially after Shaq's retirement, because we all know how Kobe said, Kobe, you know, Kobe, we all know how he criticized uh, Shaq's work ethic, and Shaq would fire back by saying, well, we would have won the 2004 finals if he had passed the ball more. I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, these NBA superstars, I mean, they like trash-talking each other. I mean, it's all part of the sport. But, you know, look, what's done is done. They didn't win in 2004. It doesn't matter how they lost, whoever it was, because the Lakers went on to win several more titles. I mean, the Lakers have moved on from it. We've moved on from it. It's not about who was better between Shaq and Kobe, because Kobe was just a special guy. And, Wiley, if it wasn't for Kobe, in my opinion... We wouldn't have there would be guys like Luka Doncic, Joel Embiid, Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo. All, all the all the young players today, Kobe is is, the, is is one of the reasons why they're here. I mean, Kobe paved the way for so many young players. Kobe, in my opinion, deserves more than to be on the Mount Rushmore of basketball. Yeah, Kobe is definitely a top tier talent, and he will be remembered for his ability to win with and without Shaq but overall I think that Kobe's legacy is pretty clear I think that he's super talented he's a hard carry player he's got the 81 point game which is arguably more impressive than Wilt's 80 point game because in Wilt's 80 point game his teammates were bricking on purpose and like intentionally missing shots so he could farm rebounds Kobe's game wasn't like that here in the points legit so Kobe will go down as a legend, and I think that one of the things that I like most about Kobe personally is unlike many other NBA stars, he was not one of these guys who got political and tried to virtue signal. He's not one of these guys who went out of his way to disparage President Trump. He's not one of these people who sort of stood up and stood up on the so the soapbox of social issues and really made his fame about pushing left-wing politics. But since we're on the topic of left-wing politics, I'd like to tell my favorite Kobe anecdote. Kobe Bryant was talking to former President Barack Obama, and Barack Obama, who's a Chicago sports fan, mused that 
Derrick Rose might have Kobe's number. This was around 2011, D. Rose's prime before he blew out his knees over and over. Mm-hmm. And Kobe mused that, well, if D. Rose does have my numbers, my number, I'll make sure to let it ring five times before I pick <laughs> up. And yes. that is just, that's Pete Kobe. He's a great shit talker and a very charismatic guy. And I think that if you look at the current NBA, they'll tee anyone up for calling someone a bad free throw shooter. The sort of shit talking that was going on back in the early and mid 2000s between Kevin Garnett and players like Kobe Bryant, a lot of that has largely been eliminated from the game, which is very bad for basketball. And I don't really think that's debatable. People want to see shit talk, they want to see contention, they want to see tension, they want to see people playing that don't like each other. Basketball already is such a soft, tepid sport with a long-winded regular season that doesn't mean a lot. And to come down this hard on anyone talking any sort of mess to each other, terrible for the game. And I think that the fact that Kobe was so successful and so well-liked despite the fact he ran his mouth so much says a lot about that. See, Wiley, as we mentioned before, trash-talking is part of the game. But Kobe trash talk, but he always had a way to back it up. Like he trash talked, yeah. And you know what? And when he and he and he was the kind of trash talker, but he gave credit when credit was due. When um when the Mavericks, you remember this very well. When the Dallas Mavericks infamously and unexpectedly swept the uh, swept the Lakers in 2011. Easy. That's the game yeah. where Ron Artest elbow J.J. Barea oh. in the temple yeah. just obliterated him. And in the final, in the game four, it was Andrew Bindum that elbowed him, Barea oh, while, while Barea oh, was, was going him. Oh, it was Bindum? It was a game four. Piece? Well, it was, it was game four. In the game four, uh, it was Bindum who elbowed Barea. In, in the first game, I'm not sure if it was the first or second, I know Lamar Odom got was ejected in the first game. He was also ejected I'm talking in the about game. game four. Yeah, it, the elbow, no, that was Andrew Bindum. Yeah. Are you sure? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. No, I'm, you're you're right. You're completely right. It was one of the dismo. I mean, no, it was, it was disgusting. Bynum. It was disgusting. It was Bynum and Dallas was up by like 32 at the time. I mean, it, it was and it was game over. in the series. And Kobe Bryant was still out there just playing basketball. You know, mm-hmm. he was just he was just finishing what he started. Kobe Bryant congratulated the Mavericks, congratulated Dirk, and and th- this is my point. As much of a trash talker as Kobe was, he was professional and he gave credit when credit was due. Well, Bynum was nothing more than a degenerate crackhead, so of, of course Kobe's going to be better than him. I mean, do Kobe some service, at least compare him to someone who had talent. Bynum was a flash in the pan. Give me a break. I mean, I'm not sure how long Bynum lasted. I know that Bynum was traded. I th- He was traded from the Lakers, I think, when the, when the Lakers acquired Dwight Howard the same year when Steve Nash arrived on the team. And, and, and that time, I mean, I thought the Lakers were going to become good again because they had five... Former All-Stars in the starting lineup, there was Gasol, Bryant, Metal World Peace, Howard, and, and uh, you know, like that. But the, yeah. but, but the Lakers, went, I think they went 21-61 and 61 that year. I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what the record is, but I know the Lakers during that time. I mean, they was going through rough years. I mean, that's when they became a shell of, of, of their former of their former self. But, but even during those hard times, Kobe did not cause problems. Kobe just played. He played the game the way it was. That's why they're saying Kobe played the game the way it's meant to. Kobe just did not cause problems. He just wanted to impress the fans, do this for his family, you know, keep his yep. legacy alive. It's just about playing basketball. But what really hurts me, Wiley, is this, in his final years, how all the injuries, I mean, the torn rotator cuff, the knee injury, 
the, the, his uh, ruptured Achilles. Yeah, that it, ended his career. It just, it just became clear that his body had finally taken the toll on the sport. I mean, Kobe was... I don't. I, I can't say he was past his prime because he was still he was still playing good. He was past his prime as far as his physical well-being goes, but his talent it was still out there. But his body just couldn't handle the sport as much as it did anymore because it was. It, it became clear during that time Kobe was just not a young man anymore. He was in his mid to late thirties. He was not a kid anymore. Agreed. One thing about Kobe is that he would always try his best and put it on the line. This was a guy known for his hard work ethic, his hard carry mentality, his focus. And it was actually Lamar Odom smoking crack, another guy from the Lakers who fizzled out of the league, not Bynum. I mean, you can see how I could get them confused because they're essentially the same player with the same length of career. But regardless, I think that we should move on from the somber topic. Rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, an NBA legend five rings the sort of guy that a lot of people looked up to an incredibly hard worker and the honestly the successor to mj a lot of people look at lebron just because of his talent level but if you look at style of play size build mentality kobe is the successor to mj not lebron not queen james mr have my own hbo show to complain about white people Mr. Lose the Finals over and over. Mr. Quit in the Finals. Mr. Talk about social issues. Mr. Receding hairline. LeBron does not deserve to be considered the successor to MJ, despite his talent. LeBron is a very talented player, but he is his own entity. People love to sort of compare LeBron to MJ, and to me, that's not accurate. Kobe Bryant is the intellectual successor to MJ, not LeBron James. Well, what you say could be true, but I have no comment on that, Wiley. But you know what? I agree. Kobe Bryant truly is the successor of Michael Jordan. Rest in peace, Kobe. You will be missed. And what really breaks my heart is he lost his daughter with him. May she rest in peace. God rest her soul. Kobe, thank you very much because you made an impact on our life. Let's move on, Wiley. I want to talk a little bit more about the Houston Astros because the biggest subject right now is their search of finding a manager who's going to pick up the scraps of the team and attempt to piece it all back together. But I think, in my opinion, it's safe to say that the Astros, their dominant days, I mean, this whole thing this whole thing is just going to its gonna haunt them. I think the Astros are done being good. I think, it, I think it's back to the gutter of mediocrity for them. Well, I don't know about that, but if we talk about the recent Astros scandal and hit the high notes... AJ Hinch was fired. The Astros GM was fired as well. Carlos Beltran was fired, who of course was the manager of the Mets for literally not even one game. In five years, will anyone even remember Carlos Beltran? Probably not. Managed the Mets? (laughs) Absolutely not. No, definitely not. And you add on to the fact that Alex Cora was let go too. This scandal was a huge issue. And anyone sort of downplaying the scandal or trying to act like it wasn't a big deal is a fraud. They're a Houston homer. They're spineless and they're intellectually dishonest. And I think that is a really true statement when you consider the fact that very recently it has come to light that the Houston Astros players were potentially wearing devices, electronic 
signal giving devices somewhere on their body, similar to famous poker cheater Mike Postel. These players should be banned and banned for a long time. I'm not going to say for life because that's incredibly extreme. But if you look at the cheating that went on mixed with the repulsive smug attitude everyone on the Astros had, something needs to be done that is ridiculously severe. Something really needs to come down upon the Astros because if you look at their core, despite the fact they lost Cole, I think they'll probably win it over 90 games. So they'll probably make the wild card. And considering the depth and severity of their cheating, as well as the amount of time that they cheated, they should be rendered ineligible for the playoffs for multiple years. They should not only have their first round picks taken, ooh, big deal, they should have entire drafts taken. This is a team with a very deep farm system, so you really have to hit them hard. 2020, 2021, 2022, the Astros should not be allowed to draft a single new player. Their farm system should be stagnated in reprieve for this repulsive cheating scandal. But what's interesting to me is they actually just hired one of the biggest frauds in baseball, Dusty Baker. Now, let me give you, as a hardcore baseball fan, a brief background on Dusty Baker, Alex. Go ahead. Alrighty, so in the early 2000s, Dusty Baker took over for a San Francisco Giants team that had Jeff Kent, that had Barry Bonds in his prime. Remember, this was like, when I say prime Barry Bonds, I mean just starting to do steroids Barry Bonds. This was the guy who became the terror that would break the home run record. This was a team that was absolutely terrifying. Just a real jaw dropper of a franchise. And, you know, he actually took over, uh, you know, in the 90s. So he was actually the manager of the Giants for a while. But they did have Barry. So they had God-tier pre-Royd Barry. But they also had other other really good players that were, you know, five-plus war players. Royce Clayton, Robbie Tomlinson, Matt Williams, these sort of players. But Dusty Breaker is not a manager who is known for winning titles. This is a guy who is known for taking very good teams and choking with them. He was a pretty good player, but as a manager, he's very forgettable. And I think if you are a Rangers fan, you have to be very help you have to be very happy about Dusty Baker becoming the manager of the Astros. Because Dusty Baker has made a career off of going to talented teams and underperforming. He's only won one pennant, and that was in 2002 when they blew a huge lead versus the Angels. They were up, I think it was 5-1 to one in uh, the, like the eighth inning of Game 6 of the NLCS, and they blew that and then lost Game 7. Or no, that was the World Series where they blew, they blew Game 6, and he pulled... Russ Ortiz too early, and the reliever gave up a homer. The Giants choked that game away, and the Angels won the series. That was the year where the Angels employed the rally monkey. Okay, so Dusty managed these Giants. 
throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s and did nothing but choke. This was a guy who just screwed the pooch no matter what the circumstances were, no matter what teams he was a part of. Dusty Baker screwed it up. So then he got fired from the Giants and went on to manage the Cubbies. This was the early 2000s Cubs. Mark Pryor in his prime. Kerry Wood in his prime. Uh, who, if you don't know, these were two top-tier, very young, early 20s, elite-level ace pitchers. He also had Sammy Sosa, as well as a host of other talent. Was Carlos and Pena w- there at the time? I'm not sure about Pena, but Derek Lee was on that team, as well as some other guys. And uh, what did Dusty Baker do? Of course, they made the playoffs, but they choked. This was the team that made it to the 2003 NLCS that lost in the Steve Bartman game at Wrigley. Mark Pryor on the mound with a lead in the eighth inning. Dusty Baker lets him languish out there, blows the series, loses game seven. And he never wins anything with Chicago. And inevitably after that, he goes to the Reds. Now, this was interesting because you have to consider that in every situation, Baker was dropped into his manager he had a ton of talent already established and specifically he had a lot of really exceptionally talented guys who had a lot of potential it wasn't just uh, aging veterans so after being on the cubs for that long he never won over 90 games in his four years there and in 2003 he choked away the pennant that was the infamous steve bartman series And one of the most important things to note about Dusty Baker was that a lot of people agree, and the consensus opinion is that he actually ruined the careers of both Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. And if you don't know who these guys are, if you're sort of new to baseball, these were top-tier, exceptional, god-tier, all-star level talents that people were looking at the Cubs and saying, Pryor and Wood are going to be Cubs for 20 years and they're going to win 280 games. Baker used them incorrectly to the extent where both of them had severe arm injuries and were never the same. Then after he failed with the Cubs, he joined the Reds. And after he joined the Reds, he had a few losing seasons with them. And then he got into the wild card game and the uh, I think it was 2013 if I recall correctly this was the year where he had Shinsu Chu batting uh yeah this was the year this was the year where Shinsu Chu led the National League in on-base percentage and hit by pitch and Joey Votto was in his prime and he managed to screw the pooch there lost in a wild card game which is just disgraceful and after that he went on to manage the Nationals a ready-made team that would make the playoffs every year and choke. Well, he took a roster with Mad Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and choked with them. So Dusty Baker has not accomplished jack shit in his managerial career, and hopefully he brings the same choking anvil-like demeanor to his new team, the Houston Astros. That was a brief history of Dusty Baker all off the top. Thank you very, very much, Wilder, because this brief history that you gave us was well needed because the folks who listen to us, they have the right to know the truth. You see, folks, this is why 
And and before uh, Wiley took us on a little ride about uh, Dusty Baker, about how he said with the Astros, Wiley is absolutely right. The Astros should have been punished the way he said. The Astros were punished lightly. It doesn't mean anything. Now I might have said, you know, that how they the, their glory days are over. That's probably that's just me expressing my anger because I'm very disappointed in the Houston Astros because I said what the Astros did. They shamed the state of Texas, and Wiley and I, we grew up in this state. We're proud. Of, we're proud to be Texans. And from what Houston, what, what from what Wiley said about you know the punishment, how he how he would handle it, that is why, in my opinion, Wiley would make a fine uh, baseball commissioner. And unfortunately, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the possibility about that happening, but I think Wiley would make a hell of a commissioner. And I'm not just saying that because he's my friend, because in my opinion, folks, Wiley is a certified baseball expert. Now, I want to talk about what Wiley said about Dusty Baker. Based on what Wiley says, folks, is that Dusty Baker is a cancer. Right, Wiley? That's correct. Baker poisons anything he touches. Exactly. And now, and based on what Wiley has said, based on, this is, this is the facts. Wiley's sitting the facts. Everything Wiley said is true. He comes to a team and he basically ruins it. And then he gets fired. He moves on to the next team and does exact does the exact same thing. So the Houston Astros made a... I mean, I'm not sure. If the hiring is not official. I mean, from what I said, I mean, they're finalizing the deal. But that just means that they're close. That, you know, he's been, that, that it's official that he's been picked. So... So I think I, I think the chapter is done. I, I think you know the, 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 they finished the chapter. They fired, they found the next guy. But I don't understand. I mean, knowing Dusty's history, why would they even consider him? Are they just that arrogant to think? Oh, Dusty, no, Dusty learned his it, lesson. He he won't do this. No, here. no, no. It, it's not arrogance. Here's what happens. You have if you have a shitty team that's not very good, you pick a young manager you can pay for cheap that you can try to build up. If you have an established team that looks very strong and has already made the playoffs several years in a row, you pick an established manager. Baker, however, a fraud, and I don't like, he's an established manager. Same with Buck Showalter. I think the same thing about Buck Showalter, and I'm not going to do the whole bit, but look at Buck Showalter's career. He took an infield of Mark Teixeira, Michael Young, Alfonso Soriano, Alex Rodriguez, and Hank Blaylock. I know that's five people. One of them moved around, and the timeline doesn't fit for all the years. But he took five fucking all-stars and missed the playoffs every fucking season he was a goddamn ranger. That's his legacy in Texas. What did he do with the Yankees? He let David Cohn blow his arm out against the Mariners. He let him have an aneurysm on the mound because he wasn't going to put in a potential Hall of Famer in uh, John Wetland, who was actually in the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame. He let his all-star closer ride the pine while he let his starter blow his arm out, throwing 147 pitches. And then after that, what did he do with the Orioles? That 2012 to 2016 Orioles squad that was all about Pop, Mark Trumbo, Chris Davis, players like these. What did he do? He got into a tied game and a best of one on the road. And he got into a messy inning and extra innings with against the Blue Jays. And instead of bringing in his potential Cy Young winning reliever, Zach Britton, who was unfreaking touchable all season... He elected to put in a laughably washed up Ubaldo Jimenez into a dirty inning, who immediately, of course, got popped by Encarnacion. Buck Showalter is another guy who 
the sports media will parrot the groupthink opinion and say that he's established when in reality all that it means is he's old and he's made it into the playoffs with really good rosters and then screwed the pooch. So a lot of these teams that had a lot of success in the past or has a good roster on paper looks at these guys. Joe Girardi is another example, although he actually won a ring and has talent. These are the sort of managers that the established teams will say, okay, well, we want to look for these guys. We don't want to hire Joe Jerkoff, third base coach. We don't want to hire this fucking random. We don't want to hire this bench coach. They want the big name. They want the established guy with experience. So I see why they went with Dusty, but Dusty and Buck both are vastly overrated. And if you look at their histories as managers, that really bears it out. And if you look at the amount of talent that Buck Showalter had on that Rangers team, the fact that they never made the playoffs was a joke. And I'm going to say one very quick Buck Showalter anecdote before I finish talking about him. After a couple years in Texas, of course, the Rangers had no pitching and Buck Showalter was talking to the owner at the time and talking about in the GM and talking about which free agents he wanted to target. And Buck actually said, well, why don't we just not sign any free agents this offseason and put a roof on the stadium? Because it's so damn hot, the pitchers wear down very quickly and it's just miserable, especially during the day. Of oh, course, yeah. he was. Of course, he was rebuffed. But I think it's very funny that 15 years later we would see that, yeah, Texas, the Texas Rangers, do in fact come to the conclusion that it's too goddamn hot, and we need a we need a roof, and in this case, a whole new freaking stadium. Okay, so. I mean, absolutely. You see, folks, it's, it's not a goddamn exaggeration when we exaggerate uh, when we complain about how hot it is. The heat in our state, especially during the summer, it's unfucking bearable. And it's understandable. I mean, if you go to a game, you know, during on a typical summer day in Texas, you go to Arlington for a game, it's hot as fuck. And what really irritates me, they don't even. Give, I mean, I don't know. They don't even give you free water. I mean, I, I mean, I feel like that, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, come on, just give us a water bottle for free. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. But yeah, no, totally agree. The 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 Arlington State Police should honestly. I don't say shit like this a lot. They should step in and say, look. At the beginning of uh, every section, you have to have ice coolers with free bottles of ice water. Maybe you could say limit two per person, but there's a, or you've got a, you can charge for water, but it's got to be one or two dollars. You can't be charging people five dollars for a bottle of water when it's a hundred degrees and people are about to fucking stroke out. Like that, that, I mean... I've written articles and spoken at length about the avarice of the MLB and how idiotic it is and how it gets to a point where it actually hurts the fans, but that's a great example. And you know what? I hope to God in the opening season they don't get frugal with the AC and they blast it because it's going to be real goddamn disappointing if on opening day or the days following opening day, it's 105 outside but it's 88 inside because they don't want to blow the AC. The AC. If you've ever been to Jerry World, AT&T Stadium right across the street, they blast that AC. You almost need a goddamn coat to sit and watch the games. That's how the Rangers Stadium should be. And I hope to God the stadium seats are wide 
And if you're a decent sized guy, you don't have the armrest digging into your thighs all game. That's a joke. You can expand the size of the seats by a very small amount and make it comfortable for anyone to sit down. And the way that they had it before was they very clearly were just focusing on the max amount of seats. And they were very uncomfortable. Not as bad as American Airlines Center, but they were pretty bad. And it was. I mean, Wiley's talking from personal experience because, you know, Wiley and I, we, we, we've been... We've been to, to, to uh, Globe Life. We went to Globe Life Park many times, and not just watching a game. I mean, we, we would cover Ranger games during our internships, and even the press box. I mean, I don't, I don't remember if the press box had AC or not. I mean, I just I didn't really care. Oh, it did. The, it, the press it, box it, was it did, but it probably, it probably wasn't really that good. Well, it, you also, the press box is the press box. There's 30 fucking jerk-offs up there. We're talking <laughs> about the whole stadium. Yeah. But, um, okay. See, everything is true because, you know, uh, a stadium with AC, I mean, it, you mentioned this before that, you know, when we have a closed roof, it's going to attract more free agents because, you know, these guys are afraid that this Texas heat, guy, it's not, it's not, it's not to be messed with. I mean, it, it, it can, it can kill you for goodness sake. That's why in Texas, we fear, what we fear the most in the summer in Texas, folks, is our AC at home breaking because it costs a goddamn fortune to get it fixed, which I feel like is absolute bullshit. I mean, give us a goddamn break. <laughs> but you know what? Life is unfair. So Wiley, now I want to I want to move on about the uh, talk a little bit about the more about the Houston uh, manager search because you know you know who was actually part of their search? Who? Jeff Bannister, believe it or not. But I don't I don't I don't, I don't think that, that that should come as a surprise. But what really shouldn't come as a surprise is that he was not picked. I mean, are you surprised that he was not picked? No, I think that Banny in general is blown as sort of or is. Uh viewed as sort of a blowhard authority <laughs> authoritarian sort of uh, a jerk he's sort of viewed in the same way Buck Showalter is without the pedigree and I've heard Evan Grant a, another baseball writer for the Rangers say that part of the reason that Bannister was run out of town was his authoritarian sort of style anyway I uh, to me that's a lot like Jason Garrett you would love to see someone that you didn't like and you consider a failure coach your rival. So in the same vein that I love Dusty Baker from the context of a Ranger fan, I would love, love Bannister. But, but both are good. And it's funny because Bannister, even though I don't think he's very talented, his legacy of failure goes back less far than Baker. If you just, I know I already covered it, but if you look at the teams Baker screwed up and like the amount of talent he had, he had probably the most probably the most feared hitter of all time and like totally juiced out Barry Bonds didn't win a ring and like only made one World Series. He had the two best young arms in the entire league with a fierce offense, didn't win a ring, didn't get to a World Series. And then he had the Reds, Joey Votto, Shinsu Chu in his prime. You know how all these dim-witted Ranger fans will cry baby about the Shinsu Chu contract? You know why that happened? It was because of the year that Shinsu Chu had in Cincinnati. Chu only played one year in Cincinnati. He finished top 15 in MVP voting. And hey, what do you know? The Rangers dumped the money truck on him. Which is funny because I think a big reason why John Daniels was so tepid and uninspired in his 
response to Anthony Rendon and Donaldson and other free agents is he's been basically laughed at and made fun of by the fan base for the Shinsu Chu contract. Even though it was really a fine contract, he really does, I feel like, get a lot of flack for that and that he doesn't want to deal with that again, which sort of spineless on his part. And if you look at the Rangers free agency in general, when you look at who all has been signed, this is not a team that is going to win a World Series. This is a team that made some good moves, but really didn't do enough overall. I mean, the, the biggest hiccup of the whole Shinsu Trua dilemma, Wiley, it's just the health. Because the first few years, I mean, he, he could not stay healthy. I mean, ranging from, the, you know, from 2014, he had a ankle, I mean, it was, I think it was ankle problems. In uh, 2015, I think he had a broke, he like several, had several, I mean, he had many, many stints. From 2014 to, I think, about 2016, I think he had probably at least half a dozen trips to the disabled list. At least. Yeah, he's had injury problems for sure, and I'm not denying that. Yeah. But when, when Chu's been in the lineup, he's been good. Yeah, that's why John Daniels fan, because John, he's a, Chin is a good player. It's just his, his health is a goddamn cause for concern. I mean, it hasn't been maybe in the last three years, but from 2014 to 2016... His health was a major problem. And in 2015, I mean, he did have a very slow start. I mean, he was horrible. I mean, his, his batting average at one point was below 100. I think it was .095 and, until until the rain. Uh, but that was, at, that was at the end of the first month when the Rangers were 7-14. And then things started finally, they finally started turning things around. And then Chu started finally, you know, picking up the groove. I mean, but the bottom line is John Daniels paid him the right kind of money. It's just that... Things didn't start out the way the, the way it should have been. Chu couldn't stop getting hurt, and things were just not going right. But we all we had to do was was be patient and hope that things would get better, and and, and they did. So for the most part, the the, the, the Shinsu Chu era, it, it hasn't worked out completely, but we did get so, we did get a piece of the action, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Chu potentially didn't live up to every dollar in his contract. But overall, if you look at the impact he had on the team and the role that he was signed to serve, he served it. When Chu is healthy, which if you look at the last couple years, he's been relatively healthy. He's a, he has done exactly what he is meant to do. He is a top of the lineup force. He can play the outfield if worse comes to worse. But as he gets older, he's really being relegated more to a pure DH form. But I really like Chu. He's the best Korean player ever. And I think having him on the Rangers is something that we can be proud of. And I think it's going to be very funny because this is his contract year. And, you know, a lot of the Rangers fan base has been crybabying about Chu. It'll be really funny if after this year, when he has another solid year, if you see the Rangers fan base sort of sit there and say, okay, well, maybe maybe we want Chu back. Like, Let's re-sign Chu, but just to a lesser deal. You know, maybe if you can get Chu for like $8 million a year or something. Like all of a sudden, oh yeah, I love Chu. It was always the amount of the contract that made people dislike Chu. Exactly. And, but as far as re-signing Chu, uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any high expectations out of it. I mean... Like you said, if he—I mean, it's—he's gonna have to sign a much, much, you know, smaller deal. 
and we're not sure if he's going to accept such a thing. I mean, he's got, he's, he's, he's probably going to have no choice because I really don't think that there's, there's much value on him out there. I mean, I don't, I don't, we really don't know how much gas there's left in his tank, how much he has, le how much he has left in him. I mean, he's been playing the game for a very long time. He, he, he's almost come to the point where he's Hitro Suzuki, you know, playing, been in the game for so long, but. But I, I would like to see him come back. I'd like to see him retire, uh, re retire as a member of the Texas Strangers. It would be nice. It would be nice, but we don't know what's gonna happen. I mean, I won't. I, I won't be surprised if if, if he does if, if he does end up leaving because you know I'm not sure if he's because it's like I said, it's unclear if he's willing to accept accept a much smaller deal. Uh, unless I mean, if he does, like, if he signs one with, without without any problem, I will actually be surprised. But then, if I do, if, if they have uh, stories out there explaining why, maybe he says, maybe he explains, I signed a small deal because I want to stay here and mentor young players. That won't surprise me because that's who, that's what Shinsu Chu likes to do. He likes to mentor young players. He likes to help. He likes to he likes to help. That's it. Yeah, he likes that, to that's his thing. Th that's his thing. He likes to play baseball and help out. And, and, and that's 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 his uh, his way of playing the game. But as far as like, see the the problem is with the Rangers, we have a they have a history of, of paying so many of, of paying so many guys, and they just don't work out. I mean, Rugnet Odor is is a perfect example. Because and, and it saddens me because I loved Rugi. I mean, I, I was you know I was you know as you recall, I, I would write articles about him all the time. I would tweet about him. I was saying, man, this guy's good. He's gonna help out. He's gonna be a great part of the team. But since we ever since we paid him, what have we, what have we gotten out of it, Wiley? Awful. I would encourage you to pull up Baseball Reference, maybe read his stats. Someone is at my door and I have to answer it. So, one of the things that I would advise you to do in my brief absence was to be to go over the potential opening day roster because there aren't many free agents left and there aren't a lot of changes the Rangers can make. So, carry the show for a couple minutes and I'll be right back. All right. Well, be happy to. Well, folks, <laughs> I can't even stress how, how difficult it's been for me to, sw to swallow the pill about Rugnet Odor's uh, struggle since you know since he got paid. So as well as said, I'm pulling up Baseball Reference now on my phone. Wow, I mean, 2019, 107 hits, uh, 30 uh, homers, a 205 batting average. I mean, that's just not that's just not good. Not good at all. And right now I'm looking at the rosters, guys like you know Elvis Andrews, Willie Calhoun. We have the return of Robinson Chirinos. So I'm looking at his stats right now. Looking at the stats of uh, Rugnet Odor. So he got paid shortly after 2016. He was 23 years old in 2007, uh, 2017 season. I mean, he since he's been paid, folks. He has not gotten more than 130 hits, and he had 164 in 2016. It's just been, it's been a downward spiral since for him since. Now he's still 25 years old. He's still young, so Rugnet Odor, he still has time to resurrect his career, to revive it. But as far as as the possibility, I can't say it's not going to happen. I can't predict that. I can just say I hope it does. However. The Rangers, in my opinion, folks, they're pretty—they're basically unpredictable. We don't know. I mean, one thing—I mean, people all say they're just going to be—they're just going to be terrible, but we just have to wait and see. 
I'm looking... It's 2019. About 145 games. Yeah, but, and the problem is, uh, is the strikeouts, his 178 strikeouts is, is really, uh, it's really the hiccup. It's really the hiccup that we're looking for, and that, that, that's what really hurts us. So it's bad, I mean, Rugnando Odor, the bottom line is, folks, while Wiley's gone, and I'm, uh, doing my best to keep this alive, Rugnando Odor has not lived to the expectations. He has lost the support, he has lost support from the fans. He's no longer a fan favorite. I mean... The, the the only the only good memory fans have of him is him punching uh, Jose Bautista right in the face. That, that, that's all. That, that, that's the only positive thing we have of Odor nowadays. Okay, I'm back. All right. Well, I just explained. I just explained to the folks, Wiley, that I looked at. I, I was on Baseball Reference, just like you said, and I looked at Rugnar Odor's stats ever since he got paid. Oh, it's terrible, isn't it? I mean, it? his uh, he had a, I believe he had 178 strikeouts last year. And another thing, he had 164 hits in 2016. And ever since he got paid, he has not had more than 130. And his 205 batting average from last year is just it's horrible. And I, and what ex- <laughs> and the last thing I said to the folks is, Rugnet Odor has lost the support of the fans. Fans do not like him anymore. The only good memory we have of him. Is him punching Jose Bautista in the face? That's why he got paid. Let's be honest. Yeah, and, and, well, <laughs> that well, I, I think the punch in the face. I mean, remember part of his contract, he got horse. Yeah, he got a like a, a horse. yeah, a, two, yeah. a horse. I, I think that was that was for the punch. If you ask me. Well, I don't give a shit about the horse. They can pay him <laughs> all on horses, as if as far as I'm concerned. What I'm concerned about is the. Low amount of pitches seen per at bat, the high swing and miss rate, the sloppy Joe defense, the lack of contact, and the lack of walks. This is a guy who can only hit homers. That is the one talent that he brings. You know, if you give him 750 at bats, he's going to hit 30 homers. You know, if he does everything else below average or poorly, it's actually called a net a net negative. Hitting 30 homers and eating shit in every other aspect of your game is bad for your team. That means you're hurting your team. 30, like everyone loves a dick ride the home run. Oh, you, you hit 30 homers playing every game with a juiced ball. Great. You're still a net negative to your team and it's not close. So, Rugi's a problem. Elvis Andrus hasn't been the same since his elbow injury. Todd Frazier uh, signed... For, to play third he's you know about his tenth as good as Rendon and about an eighth as good as Donaldson this is a guy who's not a long-term fit I don't know how long it's going to take for Josh Jung to come up he was just drafted but Arenado people really look at that and Say, well, I wish they would trade for Arenado. He's a platinum glover. Maybe you could give up Josh Jung. And to me, that wouldn't be bad because the Rangers can't develop players anyway. And then Ronald Guzman was appalling last year. He can only play defense. And if you look at the outfield, Willie Calhoun's out there. You hope for him to develop. He'll finally get to play every day, but he can't play defense. Joey Gallo's god tier. He's pretty much the cornerstone of the team. And then you're going to move Danny Santana, who played second base all season, to center. This team just, if you look at it intellectually, honestly, doesn't look very good. They're, unpre- they're unpredictable. That, that, while you were gone, 
I, t I told the folks, the Rangers are just unpredictable. But but what's their ceiling? Like, best case scenario, how many games do they win? Because with this lineup, how are you ever going to win more than 92, 93 games? I don't see, the, I don't see the Rangers winning more, uh, winning 80 games, to be honest. 80? You, you don't even think they can go 500? No. Because okay. it, it's, it's not only that they're struggling, they can't, they don't, okay, based on what you said, like, they... Only this guy can only play defense. This guy can only hit. That means that the team is not balanced, Wiley. An unbalanced team cannot succeed. You need a team that can excel on both hitting and on defense, just like in football. You need a you need a team that can excel at offense and defense, or like in soccer, off like the defense and the attack. If you, if the team is unbalanced, it's going to create issues. And if you don't address those issues, the hole gets deeper and deeper. And then before you know it, Wiley, you're buried. You're buried. You're buried. You're buried alive. You're gone forever. That's the problem. The Rangers just cannot find a way to dig themselves out of that hole. They've been buried for a while. I mean, they've been they've been buried since Jeff Bannister, even before Jeff Bannister was run out of town. The team was already buried. So basically, Jeff Bannister buried the team, and he's and then the, and then the front office just literally threw him out. Yep. So it's basically like they're cleaning the mess that he made, and it seems that they don't really, they don't really give a damn about cleaning up this mess. I mean, I, I could I mean I I could be I mean I don't know if, if what I'm saying is the right thing to say, but I'm just I'm just telling you folks, the Rangers are horrible and they really have not done any they haven't done much to address the problems. It's almost like they don't give a shit, like they want to be the laughing stock of the MLB. Well, one thing that I think stands out to me is the fact that the Rangers will sit here and pretend like they're interested in free agents, but really not even make them legitimate offers. You don't really have to look any further except into Anthony Rendon, the premier hitting free agent this offseason, to see what happened. Rendon, explicit, who was 30, explicitly stated he wanted a seven-year deal. He was offered a seven-year deal from over five clubs, very competitive high-dollar offers. What did the Rangers do? Well, John Daniels, because he didn't want to be made fun of like he was after the Shinsu Chu deal, they said the Rangers said, we'll offer you a six-year deal. And then the horseshit logic is sort of like, oh, well, we, we were going to bargain and then move up to seven. And it was like, look, if five-plus teams have already offered this guy seven years what he wants, He's not going to come crawling back to you and say, I know you guys only offered six. Can we have seven? So what happened? Rendon and his agent were like, six years? What the hell is wrong with you? Just ignored the Rangers, didn't even make a counteroffer, and then he signed with the Angels. And then John Daniels comes home and throws his hands up in exasperation. Oh, we tried. We were in the running for Rendon. We really did our best. You know, we tried. That's called a lie. The Rangers were never in the running for Rendon. Never. The Rangers made an intentional low ball offer towards Rendon that they knew he was never going to accept. They knew it was a legitimate competitive offer. But then, you know, you can offer him this horseshit low ball deal and rub your hands and say, well, look, we tried, you know. We as the Rangers, after A-Rod... We don't like to offer contracts for more than five years. It's just, you slap your fans in the face with statements like that, you know. Well, everyone made fun of me after Shinsu Chu was disappointing and got hurt. 
So we're just not going to do any more long-term long-term contracts. I'm going to cry about it. That's John Daniels. He's a crybaby. Are you saying he's that he, he's, he's like finding a way to mask his insecurities about about the whole thing? I'm saying that John Daniels explicitly said that after the Chu contract, he's not going to do long-term deals because he signed Chu to a long-term contract. And Chu was disappointing because of injuries, and people made fun of him constantly and would bitch about the Chu contract. So now he's saying, well, we're just not going to do long-term deals, which you you can't really have team success without locking up some very talented players to long-term deals. Essentially, what Daniels is saying is, I'm not going to take accountability for my actions. I'm just going to do a bunch of bullshit signings of high-risk coin flip pitchers like Matt Moore, Drew Smiley, Mike Miner, uh, Shelby Miller. These guys coming off of terrible seasons or severe arm injuries, and maybe they have a 20% chance of working out. And, you know, when they do work out, like Miner or Lynn, you can sit there and act like you're a genius, and then you can start Matt Moore 15 times a season and put out one of the most atrocious products in the entire MLB and just say, well... We did our best. We don't give out long-term contracts because I don't want to be laughed at. And that's John Daniels in a nutshell. He's never willing to put his money in. He's never willing to take the extra step. He's not willing to go the extra mile. He just wants to do one tepid, half-assed, uninspired pickup after another. That's his MO. And that's why it's frustrating to be a freaking Rangers fan, dude. It is, folks. We can't even tell how frustrating it is. I mean... I'm not afraid. I mean, I tell people I grew up. I grew up in the DFW area, so of course I cheer for the Rangers. I mean, they're my hometown team, and and see, this reminds me of a personal story. Like how I okay, if I'm gonna make a quick story, how I became a Rangers fan. Well, when I was 11 years old, I, I won an essay contest at school, and that's this is when my sports that's when my sports writing abilities and my writing abilities overall began to began to emerge. So I went I went an essay contest, and they gave me two tickets to a game, and I took my dad. And then Michael, and, and, and this is basically how Michael Young became uh, my favorite player because Michael Young had a great game. It was a game against Seattle. It was in 2004. Buck Showalter was the manager. The Rangers were, you know, they were not good, but, you know, yeah. I, I, I was still excited to go. They had a go. good offense. Yeah, they had a good offense. And Michael Young played that game. Uh, I, I believe in that game he went like four for six, and then he, he had like two doubles, which was so cool to watch. I mean, that, that's, that, that's when Michael Young really caught my attention. That's when I started taking baseball more seriously. But soon, I, I I kind of faded away from it. But the bottom line is, I mean, the Rangers really haven't. They've been breaking my heart for so long. I mean, we went to the World Series. We were so close, like one strike away twice. And I can't believe I'm talking about this because this drives me insane. But it's just not easy being a Rangers fan. I mean, it's not it's not easy being a being a, a fan of the Dallas teams in general because they all break our hearts. But but folks, this is us talking. This is me talking outside of being a sports fan. This is talking about me being a loyal fan. It doesn't do any. It, it does not do us any better to, than to betray the teams that we grew up that we grew up watching. No matter how much they disappoint us, we're, I'm always there for them because I just I forget about it and move on because I can't let their disappointment affect my life. I mean, that's just how it is. But Wiley's at I me. Mean, Wiley's is is has got to be a bigger Rangers fan than me. Oh yeah. And I can't. But I can't imagine how 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 crazy Wiley goes when the Rangers let us down. But the, but but now I'm gonna speak. From a sports fan perspective, 
The reason why we pray for the Rangers to one day win the World Series is because so guys like Wiley and I, we can write about it and proudly write articles about it and talk about it. It's because when you're a sports writer, when teams do good things and there's good stories out there for you, you can write passionately and that's what gets you good reviews. You see, you, you see, like, Wiley and I, we're, we're guys, we're, we're still in the time where we're paying our dues. We're working our asses off to get to our big break. And, and I promise you, folks, we're going to get our big break because we're writers that we're not afraid to tell the guys who bring us in, if you don't let us write our way, we don't want to be here. We, try, we explain to folks, like, if you let a sports writer write things his way, let him pick his subjects, you're allowing him to stay passionate and, and, and keep his love for the thing. Believe me, if you let him write what he wants, he's going to give you something that's, that's going to give you an audience. Well, it's always infinitely more entertaining to see a great team than a mediocre one, and the Rangers have been mediocre for a very long time. I mean, since, we, since even before we were, we were born, I mean, they, they were always terrible, to be honest. Well, in, in 2010 and well, 2011, those they were years, really yeah. good. But well, tw- in 2016, that, yeah. I mean, 2016, we had so much potential, only, only for us to throw it away against the fucking Blue Jays, being swept in three fucking games. I mean, we were there in game one. And game two. Well, in 2015, they got reverse swept by the Jays and choked that series. So that almost made the 2016 ALDS against the Jays even worse because they had just absolutely choked on showed. They got reverse swept. They, of course, had that infamous game five where they had the multiple errors and blew the lead with Hamels and Dyson. But then even before that, they lost to former Ranger R.A. Dickey. Just a mess. It was just a big disgraceful mess. And uh, yeah. really, the, the Rangers need to get back. It's going to be very hard with Houston and the A's. Because the MLB was too cowardly to target the... Astros cheating players. Oh, the player union. Well, we just can't target the people that cheated because it'll be hard to make the punishment stick. Uh, okay. I mean, what kind of talk is that? I mean, I don't, I, I don't understand. I mean, they're afraid of punishing a team that disgraced the sport of baseball. Well, now, now you're in a position where you're looking at the team in the game and saying, "Well, what did the Astros really lose?" AJ Hinch? Are you kidding? He's not. He like. How many wins is Hench going to give the Astros? Like, less than three. Maybe if that. Like, they don't need the manager. It's the players that win the games. Hench isn't, Hench isn't doing anything. I mean, well... The M- I mean, by not punishing the Astros, the MLB themselves, I mean, they've uh, further besmirched the sport of baseball. But I want to wrap up the baseball talk. I want to talk... The final subject is I want to talk a little bit about basketball. I want to talk about how Luka Doncic... Is not only in the All Star game, Wiley. He's actually starting the game, and that has me really, really excited. Well, it's great news, and it's well deserved. It's just a shame he wasn't the captain. He barely missed out on that to Queen James, the virtue signaling wonder. And it gets to a point now where, if you follow the NBA, Luca is so consistently electric that not only is he going to deserve to win the MVP at the end of the year. This is the sort of guy that if you could take any young player in the league, you would probably want to build a team around him. He's that good. He, he is that good. And, well, I'm not surprised that he's he was not put, you know, elected to cap to captain. But you know what? His time to captain an all-star team, it will it will come, Wiley. I guarantee you that. Luca is only 20 years of age. And sometimes I even ask myself, are we sure this guy's 20? Because he does not play like he's 20 years old. And his accomplishments... 
His experience dating back to his days in Europe? I mean, that is not the experience and the accomplishments of, of a fucking 20-year-old. Winning, winning the uh, the European title with Real Madrid at the age of 18 and being the being the Finals MVP at that age. I mean, how often do you see that? I mean, never. Yeah, it's very rare, and you can tell that playing in the European leagues really helped Luke out a lot. And I think that in general, when you look back at that draft, a lot of Mavs fans going in, you know, it was actually split. Oh, some people like Trey Young because he's close to DFW. People were real big on Mo Mamba. But it's very funny to look back at that in retrospect because all those players would have been fucking disastrous compared to Luka. I mean, Trey Young is good, but everyone else is just a complete joke compared to Luka. Luka is clearly the franchise player and was clearly the correct pick. It's just unbelievable. The Sacramento Kings passed on Luka. They had him. He was right there. Right there. And the they, Kings pass on they, the best player in the draft every year. They passed on him. every year. And then, and, and, and then the, the Hawks and the Mavericks immediately made a deal. The Hawks said, look, we want Trey Young. So we'll draft Luka. We'll send him to you guys as long as you can, as long as you can give us Trey Young. Mark Cuban, without hesitation, said, "You got a deal. Let's do it." I cannot tell you how happy I was. I mean, the, the people that were pissed about Luka, I'm like, guys, go look what he did in Europe. We just struck gold. I don't think a lot of people were pissed at Luka. I think there was more surprise than anything. I mean, I think he was unknown. He wasn't. He w- Playing college basketball and March Madness. You got to remember, that's how a lot of people dis- sort of discover the players that are going into the NBA. They don't watch a lick of college basketball all year and then they dick ride March Madness. They're all over it because they see people around them are tweeting about it and doing their brackets. And you See, that's, you know, that's, that's my point. That's how I, that's how I discovered Jalen Brunson and was really hoped that the Mavs would draft him. And thankfully they did. To me, I think it's really interesting to consider that the Mavericks got Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson in one draft. That's going to go down in history as one of the best drafts ever for the Mavs. Absolutely. I mean, as soon as we got Luka, I mean, I did not know Luka, but I, I, as a sports writer, I did what we do. As I did my research, and I saw this guy won the top-tier European club title with Real Madrid, and he was the MVP, and he was at the age of 18. Jesus Christ, this guy's a, this guy's a kid, and he's already got so much experience. He's got better experience in college basketball. I mean, not only did he win that title, you know, with with Real Madrid. I mean, he, he won the European the Euro Basket Championship for his home country of Slovenia. He wanted he won a national title for his country. I mean, that is big. I mean, that that right there, all that that's. That's more. That's better than experience than college basketball, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I do think it's more prestigious I mean, than college basketball. He was playing professional basketball in Europe, starting at the age of sixteen. That means, I mean, because it, it, from what I researched from the basketball from the basketball club of Real Madrid, they they all live at that facility. They train with the soccer players. That means that Luka Doncic has probably has that practice under the great manager Zidane himself, all the, with all the soccer players as well. That means Luka was in an environment where laziness, misbehavior, and all those negative things are, are not tolerated. That's why Luka has a very serious mindset. That's why he takes things he takes it seriously, he, and he's a very well behaved and disciplined young young guy. And now that, yeah. and, and, I mean, I, okay, the, the, the whole thing with Luca. I mean, he has a reputation. He's broken so many goddamn records. I've lost track of everything. I don't even know what he's broken. I'm like, 
Because it's become a thing. When it comes to Luka Doncic, breaking records, all that, that's become an everyday thing. Because he does that practically yeah, every it, fucking day. He's unique. It's old hat. It's old hat almost at this point for Luka. The guy's a freaking legend. And Okay, well, he's not there yet, but he's definitely good. No, no, he, no, he's no. got the he's, potential. He's, he, let me let me tell you this, Alex. This guy's gonna be the next Dirk. If Cubes lets this guy walk, I don't think Dallas will ever let him hear the end of it. Oh, Cuban let Nash walk, so I guess it's a possibility. But it is just blatantly obvious, even to the casual viewer, that Luke is that dude. Luke is the sort of player who you want to invest your franchise in. You want to go all in on. And uh, Mark Cuban would be another fool to let Luca walk. He would, and, and the the the, um, the dynamic duo with of uh, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, Mark Cuban made it very clear that he promised Maverick Nations he learned his lesson about the whole thing with Steve Nash. So all I can say is I hope he learned his lesson. Because let me remind you folks, Steve Nash did not want to leave Dallas. Steve Nash begged to stay. And the and problem Cuban is Cuban oh, would God. not Cuban would not pay him, so Steve Nash said fine. That I'm going someplace else. That's why Maverick. That, that's why the Mavericks fans. That's why we hold no grudge against Steve Nash, because Steve Nash wanted to be here. He he loved us. He literally on his knees. Please, please give me the deal. I want to be here. I want to win a title for Dallas. Cuban said, "I don't think you're worth that much. I'm sorry." So Steve Nash did the right thing by going to Phoenix. It's a shame that Steve Nash was unable to to win a title with Phoenix. Uh, was unable to win a title. But that's not the point. The point is, he he would have accomplished... I think he would have had a much better career in Dallas had Cuban just paid him in. He deserved to be paid, didn't he not? He did. He did. And, and Mark Cuban stepped on stepped on Nash. He stepped on him. He stepped on those dreams. And now and Cuban has to live with that. So now with, with Kristaps and Luka, this is, this is Mark Cuban's chance to right that wrong. It's his chance to redeem himself. It's his chance to make up for... The, the, the destruction of the Nash and the and Nowitzki, Nowitzki a dynamic duo. So I hope that they do the right thing. They give Luka Dodgers what he deserves because they already they already have Kristaps Porzingis locked up. Now we need to keep Luka because Luka has the potential to win at least three titles for Dallas. Luka is gonna be somebody. He already is. And as a sports writer, I've write I've written numerous articles on him, and I love following his career. And if Luka is 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 is, 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 is if Luca does not get what he needs, I mean, if if he's gone because of Cuban, that's really going to affect me. Well, even non-DFW fans are starting to catch on to the Luca train. They're starting to support and really like Luca as a person and a player. So, I really don't foresee Cubes letting Luca go. That would just be such an obvious mistake. Luca looks so good right now. We just have to hope that he continues to be productive and cont continue to stay healthy. Because I think the last time we saw a young player this dominant was actually D. Rose, who of course had his career derailed by injuries. And and, and D. Rose worked so hard. He ne Teams gave up on him, but he never gave up on himself. Well, he's like a sixth man of the year at this point. He's still a... He's not a... You know, in the first couple of years, people expected D-Rose to be sort of almost like an MJ-type MVP consistently player, especially because he was playing for Chicago. But 
he now he's still a very solid player in the NBA. He comes off the bench. He's sort of a six man of the year type, but you know, uh, it was just a shame to see what happened to D Rose, and you hope that Luca can stay healthy and continue to tear it up. I hope. So as we wrap it up, uh, the final thing I want to talk about the All Star game is I think this is going to be a very strong experience for Luca because he's starting in the game. He's starting alongside LeBron. Uh, James Harden, just to name a few. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure who, who the other guys are. Uh, let me see if I could. I'm going to pull it up right now. But him starting alongside all these guys, I mean, think of how much he, he's going to learn in that game. I mean, well, I don't know how much he could learn in a freaking all-star game where they don't play defense. And it's okay. like... He's playing alongside Anthony Davis, James Harden, LeBron, and LeBron. They play less defense in the the NBA All Star game than they do like your average rec league game. I mean, it's like it's like almost it's like a joke. It's oh. almost not even basketball. Oh, and the, really the other not, guy is Kawhi Leonard. It's really not that fun to watch overall. Oh, so he's play he's playing with LeBron, Kawhi, and AD. So that means he can learn how to flop, how to load manage, and how to get injured. Doesn't sound like a very important lesson a joke by the way it is i i get i get your joke but we all know how luca admires lebron i mean Le- lebron's his idol so if you all know you know there's the love and respect between the two i mean we, we remember we remember how when lebron james told came up to luca and said man you're one bad motherfucker i mean i feel like that, you was, know, that was right after lebron stole a game from him due to refs Mm-hmm. And in that game, uh, Luca had a forty-point triple double. But I feel like if if, Le- if, if LeBron you no know, makes a passive and Luca makes a like a, a three-point shot, that's good. And then LeBron tells him, you know, that's that's how you do it. Keep it up. I think like Le- Le- playing with LeBron. I mean, w- w- when a young kid gets to play w- with his hero, that, that that's gonna motivate him like to get better. I mean, that that that's gonna that's gonna do something with Luca. But the bottom line is, I'm just I'm just glad that he because after he was snubbed last year. I'm glad that this year he has his chance as a starter. I Agreed. Mean, but I agree. I mean, the All Star game is isn't really. I mean, it's like the, it's almost like the Pro Bowl. I I think it'll be more fun and cool than it will be educational. Like I'm happy for him and I'm glad he gets to do it. But I don't think like oh he played a game with LeBron and AD now like he's going to be 20 percent better. Like I think it's great. He deserves it. It'll be fun to watch. But in terms of impact on his Mavericks career, I don't think it's that significant. I mean, there's a chance for him to go against Giannis in a in a in a, in a European deal, <laughs> in a little Slo- yeah, Slovenia versus Greece uh, duel. But but I'm happy. I'm, I'm a. Tr- I don't know if I'll be able to watch. I don't know if I'll be at work or not. But I'm I'm, I'm definitely gonna check out the highlights and see how Luca did. But the bottom line is, I'm excited that he gets that he gets to be in the All Star game. I mean, he's the he's the youngest starter since 2005. It's pretty cool. That's that is pretty cool. And Luca, congratulations, you deserve it. The Mavericks, you know, still going through some struggles this year, but you know they're bouncing back. But the, but, but the thing with Luca, I mean, Luca is he's clutch at some moments, but he's not fully clutch yet. And how people give him a hard time for it, I tell him, look, he's 20 years old. Is he really going to be a clutch player at this at this time? The, the problem with Luca is he puts himself in that position because he feels like it's up to him to save the game. Like it's not, it's not like he single-handedly lost it. It's he did not lose the the game by himself because I've noticed when the Mavericks start choking, that's when he's on the bench, 
and then when they put him back in and they've already they've already blown the lead or, or like they're like this close from losing like they put him back in the game and put all that pressure on him and that's not fair to Luca wouldn't you agree well, I feel like a uh, a big part of the Mavericks game is this weird in-between of Porzingis is sort of being load-managed and has been injured, and Luka is still very young and developing. A big problem Luka has, I think we have to call out if we're being intellectually honest, is that at the end of games, he's too willing to settle for a step-back three when he should be more willing and trying to drive, trying to force the issue and get a foul call. I know some people might say, well, that's because Luka never gets calls. That has a lot of truth to it. If you look at the statistics, Luka does actually get less calls than the other superstars in the league when he drives. I mean, you look at Harden. It's a fucking joke. The guy's whole game is predicated on trying to draw out illegitimate fouls and I feel like that's sort of a uh, a perfect sort of like description of Houston and a, a it's a very interesting thing to watch because Houston fans will defend Harden and if you look at his play style imagine uh, James Harden's play style in a street game of basketball where Anytime he goes up for a three-pointer, he kicks up his feet into the chest of his opponents during a jumper, and then he's looking around all confused, like, where's the foul? Like, you'd get laughed out of the park you were playing at, or the gym. The same way how he will drive and pretty much get a foul call no matter what. If you look at the difference between Harden and Luka, they put up very similar numbers, and they are MVP caliber players on a stat sheet. But stylistically, Harden is nothing more than a scammer. A sleight-of-hand cheat that abuses a corny NBA rule system that favors stars to get ahead. Luka's the opposite. Luka doesn't get the calls. Luka gets railroaded. Luka doesn't get respect because he's young. And I think that's something worth noting. See, and what I love is that Luka never says, it's because the referees screwed me. He never says that. Luka does not make excuses. Luka just admits to his mistakes and he moves on and that's what I love from him the most and part of his development Wiley it's really it's really hard because in, in, in his case he's learning to adapt to the NBA style coming from the European style because the European style is much much different it's more aggressive because I've seen times where Luca maybe does a little push or he does something that's that's illegal in, in, in Europe then he gets called for it and he looks confused he's like what why why I can't do this here I'm like it, it, it it's it's hard because some some the NBA is a, is a little bit softer than than the European style, but I understand how Luca has so has difficulty adapting to the NBA style because he's so he's so used to the, to the aggressive European style. I mean, Luca he may be young, but he's a tough son of a gun. I mean, Luca's those guys. If if you I mean, if you piss him off, he won't hesitate to like to, to unleash hell on you. But 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 but. Go back to my point. I mean, people like making fun of Lucas, saying he's a choker, he's he's not clutch. I'm like he's 20 years old. Okay, leave the kid alone. He hasn't been here very long. I mean, you really expect a guy to be to become clutch just like that? Or when 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 uh, Skip Bayless says that Luca is not a superstar? Well, of course he's not a superstar yet. He's not there yet. But not only that, but Skip Bayless says he just doesn't see superstar in Luca. But you know what? That's that's his opinion. I just think that Luca is doing great for the for his experience. He's building, and he's making tremendous progress, and I
I think he's on his way to becoming one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I can honestly say, Luca, Kobe Bryant is going to be really proud of you, buddy. Yep. Well, that wraps it up for today, folks. Wiley, thank you very much for joining me. We'll see y'all next time. Easy. Easy E. <laughs>